John chapter 3, beginning verse 14 until verse 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed. May the good Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful and thankful because your words are open before our eyes this morning. We can feast on them. We can learn from them. And most especially, Father, I pray that you will bring forth changes into every hearers this morning. I am praying, O Lord, for a fertile soil that this seed, O Lord, will just uh, grow into their hearts and bear fruit. Father, continually illumine our minds through the power of your Holy Spirit as we study John chapter 3, verse 16 this morning. Because we know, Lord, that is, and this is a verse in which you showed the whole world that you love us so much this morning. And Father, as we continually do the study about your attributes and most especially today about knowing your love, I pray, Father, that you will need help us grow more and know you more. And as we... Grow more and learn more about you, O oh Lord. Help us to be obedient uh, as we learn these words this morning. Father, thank you so much for uh, this day. Thank you, Lord, that we know that your presence is with us and in us this morning. So glorify your name as we worship you uh, this morning <clears throat> by proclaiming your words. Thank you, Father, for this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please be seated. We have an expression, I love chocolate, I love food, I love sports. You know that word love, love. We always use it. But my question to you this morning is, do you love God? <laughs> do you love God? How do you show in your life that you love God? But if you will ask me this, does God really love me? The answer to that question is this, yes, 100%. And there is no doubt about it, that he loves you so much. Yes, we fail in loving him, but the Lord will not fail in loving us. The Bible says that God is three things. Number one, God is light. Number two, God is spirit. And number three, God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 doesn't say that God is loving. It says that God is what? God is love. And there is a difference. 
We might say that a person we know is a loving person and we would understand what that means. But God is not loving. He is love. That means the very essence of his nature is love. Everything he does is love. And it is, of course, everything he does is a manifestation of love. And he cannot do anything that is not love. I want for us to again understand this. That love is an attribute of God. Love is a core aspect of God's character. Not only his character, but also his person. God's love is in no sense in conflict with his holiness, righteousness, justice. Yes, even in his wrath. There's no conflict. All of God's attributes are in perfect harmony. And so therefore, God is the perfect example of what true love is. The Bible says plenty about the, the love of God, and I will, I will uh, show few of you this morning. Okay? And so, in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, that His love is knowable and believable able to be experienced. And this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in those days who were scattered abroad because of persecution. And these people are also being penetrated by a false doctrine, false teaching called Gnosticism. And there are a lot of Gnostics in those days that you will be saved only if you have knowledge. But the Apostle Paul John explained to them, oh no, I want you to know that God loves you and, and his love is knowable and believable and able to be experienced. Romans 5.8, this is very clear. That he loves us in spite of our sins. God demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Pay attention to what the Bible is saying. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible did not say, because you are righteous, because you're okay now, Christ died. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that means, in spite of. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. He loves us before we were able to love him in return. We love because he first loved us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, his love is revealed in his mercy. Because God is a loving God, he became merciful to you and me. Instead of us receiving what we deserve, he became merciful. I will not give it to you. I love you. I am merciful. Jeremiah 31 verse 3. His love is everlasting. Take note. Never ending. 
It's not like you're loving my love. You know, sometimes we fall out of love. We fall in love, and then we fall out of love. That's not true when it comes to the love of God. So everything good the human race knows how to do, it learned from God, and that is especially true of love. You see, God set the example for how to love by loving us, quote, unquote, in spite of. When I say the word in spite of, this is what we talk about, unconditional love. I always mention this. It's not because of. God is not loving us because you are good, because you are bad. God loves us in spite of. There's no condition about it. And so the clearest sign of God-like love is when someone loves another in spite of what they have done, done wrong, which is how God loves us. Another sign of God love-like is sacrifice, loving at a loss. This is many times we fail, loving at a loss. Today, the word sacrifice is not any more popular in our society today. Why will I sacrifice? Especially when it comes to husbands and wives' relationship. Sacrificial love is very important when it comes to husband and wives' relationship. But today, it's no longer being applied. But you see, God love, God-like love is sacrifice, willing to die. I read a story about once about a, a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion to live. So the boy had suffered and recovered from the same disease and built up immunity to it in his blood. Because they have, or because they share the same rare blood type, the little boy was the only donor available. And so he agreed to donate his own blood so his sister could live. So as the nurse put the needle into his arms, the boy watched his blood begin to drain out of his body through the plastic tube. He looked up the doctor and asked seriously, and this is his question, doctor, when do I die? Uh, neither the doctor nor the family realized that the little boy thought he was giving up his life, his blood, so his sister could live. But that's what he was prepared to do. He was willing to die for his sister. It's hard to imagine a child having that kind of sacrificial love, isn't it? And that's, that's about as close to the kind of sacrificial love God has for you and me that we can imagine. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, By this we know... Love because he laid down his life for you and me, brethren. Yes, because he laid down his life. That's why we know love, what love is. Oh, we're looking at a genuine sacrificial love when we look at someone willing to give up his life for another person. See, the kind of love was not you know, this kind of love was not part of Greek vernacular until the love of God in Christ uh, was, of course, revealed to the world. See, Greek words 
For love is more richer than our English word love today. <laughs> when you talk about Greek language, again, I want to repeat, it is more richer than our word love. Because when we use the word love, you know, it means different thing. But when the Greek uses the word love, it goes to a certain specific thing that they talk about. So uh, uh, first they have the word uh, <clears throat> eros. The word eros, it refers to physical passions. That's where we get the word erotic. Second word is tergo. This is a Greek word not appearing, of course, in the New Testament and was used by Greeks to refer to a familial kind of love. Another word is the word phileo. It's a brotherly love, a brotherly kind of love, and that's where we get the word, the word Philadelphia. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, and the word philanthropy, the love of humankind often expressed, of course, with these charitable gifts. Now, there was not a word in these three, three Greek words. Common use, of course, that could serve to describe selfless and sacrificial love. You, 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 cannot, you can't find that third with these three words. But there is one word, the Greek word, Agape. Greek word agape was pressed into the service by the New Testament writers to describe God's love, a kind of love that seeks nothing in return. I, I, I want to emphasize that one. This love is a kind of love that seeks nothing in return. Because many times our love is just I love you if you will love me back. And that is not agape love. Agape love is a kind of love that seeks nothing in return, that seeks only the benefit and the well-being of the one loved. God reached down from heaven for our benefit and love us and save us in spite of the fact that we have nothing to offer him in return. To talk about God's love in the New Testament, almost everyone would turn, of course, in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. And all of us are familiar and memorize this. How many of you memorize this? You should memorize this one, okay? Because I think, me personally, this is the first verse that I memorize. <laughs> and this is the first verse in the Bible that my parents taught me to memorize. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. Take note. The verb for love in this verse is agapao. Uh, the verb form of agape. And so John 3.16 is used in so many presentations of the gospel because it clearly reflects the nature of God's saving love. The whole gospel in one verse, John 3.16. And many believe that this is the heart of the Bible, which is, I believe it's true. Why? Because from Genesis until the book of Revelation, 
when you read the whole book and when we pay close attention of the very theme of every book, it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can see the personality of who Christ is. But in the book of John, he put it on the center. The whole message of the whole book in one verse. John 3.16. Now this morning, as we uh, take a look at John 3.16, we'll take a look at seven dimensions of God's agape love as revealed in this one verse, John 3.16. First, we'll take a look at the surpassing quality of God's love. Take note about the surpassing quality of God's love. The quality of God's love is revealed in the little word, so. For God saw. We could read the verse this way. God loved the world so much that he gave. His love was not passionless or emotionless. His love so much. How many of you, when somebody gave you a gift and, they, and then you say in return, thank you so, so much. That, that is not passionless. That is not emotionless. When John says, for God saw, he talks about the surpassing quality of God's love. The Roman world was unfamiliar with love that was so deep and sacrificial that an innocent person would step forward and die for the guilty. I read in, in St. Paul's Cathedral in London stands a life-size statue of Christ which took me back. Uh, of course, when, when you read it, uh, it, will, it will take you back and realize, uh, indeed, uh, that picture... If, you, if, if, if reading the story, it's, it is not the normal image of a sedate looking, hanging on the cross. Or a statue of Christ with little children or in, on a meditative pose. You see, actually, uh, this, according to what I read, it's, it's rather ugly appearing statue. It is a statue of Christ writhing in anguish and in pain on the cross. Uh, most of the picture that we, of course, see in some other churches, the picture of Christ is, you know, the skin is so smooth, and sometimes you can see him meditatively posing as if he's not in anguish. But this statue is different. And underneath it are, are etched the, these words. This is how God loved the world. As unpleasant as it is to see, it is an accurate representation of just how costly our salvation was and how selfless God's love was. Now, while reading this story, I came, of course, to thinking about uh, the picture or the movie. Uh, what's his name? The Passion of the Christ. I think he got it almost exactly. And so when you watch that movie and when you take a look at this, at this uh, statue, you will think of God's love as really, you know, a surpassing quality of God's love. 
Christ in pain because he loves you so much. Number two, not only we can see the surpassing quality of God's love, but also this surprising object of God's love. The world was the object of God's love in Christ. God so loved the world. Only an agape kind of love uh, could have allowed a Jewish writer, the Apostle John, to write such a thing. But did you know that Jewish people, they don't like Gentile people. But in his writing, he included them because I do believe that the Apostle John also has this agape love in his heart. Because a person who surrendered their life to the Lord, you can have that agape love as well. You see, John, these Jewish people, they hated the Gentiles. And yet in his writing, the Jews, again, the Jews looked with a disdain on the world of Gentiles. Yet here a Jewish writer records the fact that God loved everyone in this world in addition to the Jews. John was saying not only the Jewish people are loved by God, but it includes the Gentiles. This is an amazing concept to consider that one man loved the entire world and died in its place. Dying for the world would be like saying to your church or to this church, I love this church. And yet, each of us longs for a personal experience with a love which was directed towards the whole world. You see, consider the love of Christ this morning. For the one thief on the cross next to him. You remember that thief on the right? Remember me when you are in paradise. And the Lord said, yes, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, the one who asked to be remembered by Christ in his kingdom. And Jesus turned and expressed his world-sized love to the individual man and gave him assurance of his salvation. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Yes, God in Christ loved the whole world, but also loves every individual in the world. And that's why when you uh, recite this John 3.16, you can say, for God so love, mention your name. Because yes, God loves the whole world, but individually, he loves you and me. St. Augustine wrote, and this is what he said, and I quote, He loves each one of us as if we were the only one to love. Isn't it wonderful? How many of you heard this morning, you're saying to yourself, nobody loves me? How many of you are pity partying, sitting on the corner and, eh, nobody really loves me? Everybody hates me. Listen, this morning, the Bible is very clear. For God so loved, put your name. He loves you personally. Amen. And so that is this surprising object of God's love. Number three, let's take a look at the sacrificial price of God's love. See, this is the high price of God's love was His only begotten Son. The word begotten is a word of endearment. Okay, what is a word of endearment? You know, when you call your wife, babes, honey, those are the words of endearment. 
Nanai, how do you call tatai when he was alive? Daddy, sweet, sweetify. You know? uh, this, his only begotten son, a word of endearment. So if you have a son, stop and consider this. Is there anyone you love so much in this world that you would sacrifice your son for him? Or you, if you have unika iha, are you willing uh, to sacrifice your daughter or son for another person? Many have lost sons in military conflicts in, in service to this country. And of course, we are celebrating a Memorial Day tomorrow, remembering them. And please include them in your prayers. And, 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 and that is hard enough. But because it makes real something that many only think theoretically about Genesis chapter, uh, chapter uh, 22, uh, what did it mean for God the Father to offer up his son as a sacrifice? In the story of Abraham, we have step-by-step -step account of the depth of one man's love. But I want to go back. Those deaths are not usually voluntary and not brought about by a decision to the parents. I'm talking about our militaries. It's almost inconceivable for us to consider the idea of giving up our own son to save the life of another person, yet that is what God did. God the Father voluntarily gave His Son to die for the whole world. And that is high price for God's love. He gave His only begotten Son. That's why I mentioned also to you Abraham's uh, story, the account in Genesis chapter 22. You see, Abraham was willing, and he was willing to obey the Lord because God commanded him to offer his son as a sacrifice. And for Abraham, it's not easy. The reason why Abraham did it is because he's obedient to the Lord. But when you come to think of it, as a human being, probably it's hard for him. But because he loved God so much, he was willing to offer his son as a sacrifice. And of course, we, we know the story. It, didn't, it did not end in sacrificing his son, but God provided. That's where we get the word Jehovah Jireh. He provided another sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. But that's not easy. You see, in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, 9 and 10, this is what the scripture said. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loves us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation, of course, is atoning sacrifice. Instead of us being sacrificed, it's God, you know, took our place. Propitiation, atoning sacrifice. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 32, same passage, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up, for us all, 
Think about this verse. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. But these verses are pictured beautifully on, on, a, on a poster. I don't know if you've seen this. I've seen this poster. And it shows a close-up picture of Christ's arms spread wide as he hung on the cross and has this question and answer written on it. And this is the question. I asked Jesus how much he loved me, and he said, this much. Have you seen that poster? And he stretched out his hands and died. That's God's love. See, the most costly demonstration of pure, selfless love the world has ever experienced, has ever seen. So we've seen the sacrificial price of God's love, and that is His Son. Number four, the serious offer of God's love. The serious offer of God's love. The offer of God's love was made to Whoever. In Tagalog, kung sinuman. Kahit sinuman. Whoever. God did not offer His love just to the Jews or just to the Gentiles, but to whoever. To everybody in the world. Innumerable theological discussions have taken place down through the history over the question of who is represented by the whoever. Did Christ die for the sins of every person in the world or just for the sins of those who are only elect? Actually, there is again, there is a, 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 a teaching that Christ died only for the elect and it's called the limited atonement of Christ. This is one of those debates where there is less light than heat. Until now, people are debating about this issue. Did Christ die only for the elect or Christ died for the whosoever? Well, the Bible is very clear in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. The Bible says that Christ is the propitiation for our what? Our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the elect, for the whole world. If you're saying that, oh, pastor, that's not biblical. Well, that's the Bible. Again, this issue is being debated for how many years? It doesn't give light. It gives more hit. Why? Because... Christians, they fight for this one. The Bible is very clear. We have the word whosoever. You see, listen, I want you to listen very carefully. Enough grace and love was poured out at Calvary to cover the needs of every person in the world. Enough grace and enough love. It doesn't matter where you are as you read these words, what part of the world you live in, God loves you and Christ died for you on the cross. You see, the words of the Bible doesn't seem to make much sense taken any other way. See, the word, whoever, I want you to pay attention, 
doesn't refer just to geography or ethnicity. It refers also to whoever you are in terms of the depth of your sins. Did you get it? The Bible declares that we all have sinned and fall short of the kingdom of God. And so every individual who live in this world, they fall on this category, whoever. Now, if you think you are not a sinner and you didn't commit any sin, sorry to say, uh, church is for the sick people, not for the righteous people. If you think you're sick, you're welcome. If you think you're righteous, go home. Why? Because this place is for sick people. And the Bible says, whoever means whoever, no conditions or limitations. Again, if you think you have sinned so much that God's love could not be available to you, you are wrong. Whoever means whoever, no conditions or limitations. You see, the famous Puritan writer Richard Baxter, this is what he wrote. And I quote, If God had said there was mercy for Richard Baxter, I am so vile a sinner that I would have thought he meant some other Richard Baxter. So when he said, Whosoever, I know that includes me, the words of all Richard Baxter's there, there ever was. Whoever doesn't refer just to geography or ethnicity, it also refers to whosoever you are in terms of the depth of your sin. And all of us, including me, are sinners in the sight of God. Number five. Yes, we learn the serious offer of God's love to whosoever. Number five. Let's take a look at the selective choice of God's love. The selective choice of God's love. See, the words that follow whosoever is the word believe. Whosoever believe. Okay? And so the words that follow whosoever don't limit to whom the Lord of God is offered. But they do define by whom it is received and enjoyed. Who are those? The ones who believe in Christ. See, the grace of God, listen very carefully now. The grace of God is sufficient. If you're having a hard time, again, understanding, uh, you know, the debate about limited atonement, and this is what I want you to understand. The grace of God is sufficient for all, but is efficient only for those who believe in Christ. Did you get it? Yes, the grace of God is offered to whosoever. And it is sufficient for all, but is efficient only for those who believe. Because there is this belief that, oh, you know what? When we all die, we'll go to heaven because Christ died for all. Yes, that's true. Christ died for all. 
but you are not automatically going to heaven when you die. You must believe. Because the Bible says that whosoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Again, I, I, I want to keep on emphasizing this. The grace of God is sufficient. You see, when we talk about the grace of God, you're not worthy to receive the gift of God. And yet God gave it to you. God is a gracious God. God is a merciful God. And no matter who you are, what you did, what you're doing right now, when you realize that you are a sinner, Christ is calling you to repent. Christ is calling you to surrender your life to the Lord. And so... The offer is to everyone who will receive it. Question to you this morning is, will you receive it? Many people reject it. Only few people find it. Remember, remember uh, you know, the way to destruction is wide. But narrow is the gate to what? To heaven. But this is the offer. It's as if uh, you walk into a crowded room full of people and announce the offer of a free gift for everyone in the room. Just imagine there is a gift here. Packages. The only ones who get to enjoy and benefit from the gift are those who step up forward and receive it. Yes, that's the idea of what we call salvation. God is so gracious. You have to believe. You have to invite Christ into your heart. After this, you know, uh, I think our parents who dedicated, who will dedicate their children, they there's food, and it's free. You will not be full until you grab. It's free. Same thing with the salvation God is offering to you and me. It's free. So, again, it is with the gospel. Those who step forward by faith, and receive God's gift, Jesus Christ, are the ones who benefit from it. That doesn't mean the offer wasn't valid for the rest, and it doesn't mean the offer is withdrawn. You see, the offer of salvation in Christ goes forth continually in the present tense for whoever will reach out his hands and accept it. Those who reject the gift are still loved by God. That's the good news. Still have a chance to receive it. But until they do, God's gift remains in the sufficient category, not the efficient category. Did you get it? Whoever includes the whole world, but whoever believes excludes those who don't believe from the possibility of benefiting from God's gift. I hope this is very clear to you. 
This morning, I know the Holy Spirit is talking to you and speaking to you. If Christ is not yet in your heart, better for you to invite him and ask him to be the Savior of your life. Number six, let's take a look at the special promises of God's love. And so when a person, for God so loved the world, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. See, the special promise of God's love is this. The promise associated with the receipt of God's gift of Christ is that whoever believes should not perish. But what does perish mean? What does it mean to the one receiving gifts God that he will not perish? Uh, some of the cults or some teachings, they say that when we die, we die like an animal with no thought of the afterlife. It's a big, huge mistake. If you believe that when you die, you just die like an animal and that's it. Oh, change your mind. Because after this life, there is life, whether you believe it or not. The Bible says that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this is the judgment. The Bible did not say it is appointed unto man once to die, and you will stay in the cemetery forever. No. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this is the judgment. That means there is Life after life, there are only two destinations, heaven or hell. There's no in-between, my dear friends and brothers in the Lord. There's no purgatory, where we get the word purgation, cleansing. No, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of your decision in Christ. It's not after you die. They said, when you perish, that's it. Nothing beyond the grave. Again, I keep on saying, they are committing a very big mistake. The best way we know to describe what perish means is to divide a piece of paper in half. Writing everlasting life at the top of one half and perish at the top on the other half. Meaning there is no middle ground between the two. These two terms are antonyms or opposites. If you understand the idea of eternal life, then Paris is the opposite. Failure to receive the love of God by not believing in Jesus is a failure to receive everlasting life. And a failure to receive everlasting life is to Paris. And so the promise of God to those who believe in a promise that they will not perish but have everlasting life. So we will now go to number seven and this will be the last. The satisfying fulfillment of God's love. See, the ultimate expression or consummation of God's love is wrapped up in the phrase Eternal life. Eternal life. In Tagalog, ito yung tinatawag na buhay na walang hanggan. When we talk about eternal, eternal. 
That means eternal, never ending. Think about this. When a person dies, let's assume that a person go to hell. He will be in hell, burning forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It is every day that's everlasting punishment. That's eternal, an ending. When a person accepts Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, believe in Him, they will go another place. It's called heaven. Eternal life. Meaning you are in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Who will you choose? You see, uh, we, we can find that many Christians are confused about exactly what eternal life is. A large percentage of Christians would write down this answer if asked to define eternal life. What happens to a Christian after he dies? So uh, again, uh, that is not eternal life, okay? Eternal life is something you inherit and a reality that begins the moment you believe in Jesus Christ. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you already have eternal life. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Yes, that is one of the benefits, you know, living forever in heaven. But when we talk about eternal life, it begins when you decide to follow Christ, when you repent of your sins. That's already, you already have eternal life. Eternal life has less to do with the duration of time that than it does the quality of life you are living. The day you receive Christ into your heart by faith, your life shifted to a higher plane and eternal life began. And so if you are sure of your salvation, you have eternal life right now. That's why we believe that when we are saved, we are saved. Because of this, many people believe that you can lose your salvation. Not really. Because this is what the Bible says. Eternal life begins when you surrender your life to the Lord. And you will not lose it. People used to put on tombstones. And this is what they put entered into life, quote-unquote, followed by the date of their birth, and entered into eternal life and the date of their death. See, but unless they accepted Christ the day they died, like the thief on the cross, that's a misuse of the term eternal life. John chapter 17, verse 3, and this is what, what the Bible says. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if you don't know the Lord, you don't have any eternal life. The Bible says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And therefore, eternal life is knowing the true God and His Son, not the life you move into the day you die. 
See, knowing God is a new kind and quality of life. My question to you this morning, are you looking for a life on a higher plane? If you're looking anywhere except in the person of Jesus Christ, you are looking in vain. And you will not find it. If you're looking for life, trying to do pleasures, material things, for you to be satisfied and experience peace, you can find it. Because again and again in my sermon, I keep on saying to you, King Solomon have experienced everything. He is the wisest man who ever lived in this world. He has all the material things in this world. And yet, he said, meaningless, vanity, all things are vanity. There's no satisfaction on things in this world. If you're looking for those things, pleasures, popularity, power, money, you can't find can find it. You can only find that peace that you're longing for in the personality of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The love of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. You give your life, will satisfy you. On January 6, 1850, a snowstorm almost crippled the city of Colchester, England. And a teenage boy was unable to get to the church he usually attended. So he made his way to a nearby primitive Methodist chapel where uh, an ill-prepared layman was substituting for the absent preacher. But his text was Isaiah 45 verse 22. Isaiah 45 verse 22, and this is what the Bible says. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth. Uh, for many months, uh, this young teenager had been miserable and under deep conviction. But though he had been reared in church, both his father and grandfather were preachers, did you know that he did not have the assurance of salvation? The unprepared substitute minister did not have much to say, so he kept repeating the text. A man need to go to college to learn to look. He shouted. And then anyone can look, a child can look. Uh, about that time, he saw the visitor sitting to one side and he pointed at him and said, Young man, you look very miserable. Young man, you look to Jesus Christ. Simple preaching. And yet, did you know, the young man did look by faith. And that was how the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon was converted. And that's why every time there's a preacher standing here, uh, don't laugh at them. Or, you know, don't talk about how they preach. What's the most important word is the message of the Lord. Amen. He got saved. And his preaching is just about, young man, look to Jesus. Young man, look. And he did look. He got saved. How many of you know Charles Haddon Spurgeon? He became a great, greatest revivalist in his days. Our text today is found in John chapter 3. 
In John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus. Nicodemus, he knows the law. He's the teacher of the law. And yet one night, he came to Jesus and asked Jesus this question. How can I enter into the kingdom of God? He was a little bit rebuked by the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a teacher and yet you don't know how to get into the kingdom of God. And the Lord said, you must be born again. Meaning, you must be born from above. Of course, to make the long story short, Christ is talking about spiritual birth, but, but this Nicodemus, he, he kept on talking about physical birth. How can I do that? Can I enter into my mother's womb again and be born again? That's impossible. Christ is talking about spiritual birth. All of us are sinners. We're all dead spiritually. Whether you like it or not, if Christ is not yet in your heart, you're dead. You're walking dead. You're like a zombie. You're dead spiritually. The only thing that we can make is to look by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is interesting because in this passage, Jesus Christ mentioned in verse 14, the passage that we've just read, I want to read it again in verse, in verse 14. And this is what the Lord says in verse 14. And as the Son of Man, oh, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be what? Be lifted up. He is referring to the experience of the nation of Israel when they rebelled against the Lord. You can read the record in Numbers chapter 21. And when they rebelled against the Lord, they sinned against the Lord, the Lord sent a fiery serpent. And every people were bitten by the serpent, and a lot of them died. That story is a story about sin. When you rebel against the Lord, there is punishment. They died because they rebelled against the Lord. But that story is also a story of grace. Why? Because Moses intervened. He prayed for these people and asked the Lord, Lord, what are we going to do? And the Lord said, I want you to make a brass of serpent and lift it up and tell the people to look up to that brass serpent and they will be saved. Grace. The Lord did not tell them, I, I want you to kill every snake. No. The Lord did not say, I want you to make, uh, you know, uh, this, this medicine for them to be cured. No. The only thing the Lord said, look to that serpent, tell them, and they will be saved. A story of sin, a story of grace, and third, it is a story of faith. Why faith? It's because if you will not look, you will not be saved. Only thing for them to be saved is just look. By faith. My dear friends and brothers in the Lord, same thing is true today. You only look and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and repent of your sin. You will be saved. 
you don't need to be good because your goodness is not enough in the sight of God. When in fact, the Bible says, your goodness and my goodness are just like filthy rags in God's sight. Yes, the Bible is very clear. This is the love of Christ to you and me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It is by grace and by faith. Are you saved? Are you sure you know when you die, you go to heaven? If not, this is the right moment for you to make decision. Remember this. He loves you so, so much that He gave His only begotten Son. But only those people who looked by faith unto the Lord will be saved. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this wonderful verse. A summary, O oh Lord, of your love to each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us unconditionally. Thank you, Lord, for giving your son to die for us on the cross of Calvary. I pray, Father, that, Lord, to help us continually realize that we need you. We cannot live on our own. If there is an individual here who did not shed Put their faith and trust in you, Lord. I pray that you will just convict them. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will convert them. Change their stone heart into a flesh heart, oh, Lord, that will respond to you. Have them realize they are sinners, oh, Lord, and in need of a Savior, and that's our Lord. Father, if you are already a Christian, oh, Lord, we know about all these things. Help us, oh Father, to be faithful in sharing your love, your goodness to other people. Help us, oh Lord, not just to sit down, go to church every Sunday and do nothing, oh Lord. Help us, oh God. Give us the passion to evangelize other people, knowing, Lord, that if they will reject you, they will perish. And so, Father, Thank you for what you will give. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, we have our uh, child uh, dedication. And I want to call all the parents here up front. Carissa and Olivia uh, we will dedicate them to the Lord this morning and I'll call the parents if you are a sponsor of them please come forward as well
Uh, the parents will stand in front of me, please. Uh, Brother Phil, will you please stand in front of me here, over here, face me. So the family is a divine institution, of course. We know that it is ordained of God from the beginning of time. And, and children are a heritage of the Lord committed by Him to their parents for care, provision, protection, and spiritual training. So uh, it is good uh, when parents recognize these obligations and responsibilities to make every effort to fully carry them out. And so, in this act of dedication, uh, Chris, the father, and uh, Phil, the dad of Carissa, uh, going back to uh, Olivia, Chris, the dad, and also Jenny, the mom, and also Carlene, <laughs> <Mr>. Carlene. <laughs> you know what? I will just say, you know, later parents, okay? Because you touch a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, we will dedicate uh, Carissa and Olivia uh, to the Lord this morning. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, again, they acknowledge these responsibilities and come before us today to dedicate not only uh, Carissa and Olivia, but themselves. Okay? And that's why, again, I, don't, I hope you don't take this lightly. Because I will ask you questions, and these questions are questions in which you make promise, not to me, not to the pastor, but to the Lord. And you know, the book of Ecclesiastes is, is, is very clear. When you make promise, be careful. Because <laughs> the Lord will make you accountable for what you, uh, you, 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 know, you made the promise unto the Lord if you don't fulfill it. And so, uh, here at, again, Philom International Baptist Church, we dedicate children rather than uh, baptize them, okay? Why? Because we have an example, Hannah, and, and some of the biblical uh, character, they dedicated their children, like Samuel, okay? They did not baptize infant in those days, but dedicated them to the Lord. So, but before we do that, I want to read uh, this passage found in, in Matthew chapter uh, 19. Verse 13 until verse 15. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from them. So this passage that I read is that uh, Christ is interested in your children. He loves them as well. That's why he rebuked the disciples. Because in those days, you know that children, if you are a child in those days, as if you're nothing in, in their culture. But of course not for us. And even Christ's teaching. Every child is important in the sight of God. Now when we talk about being important in the sight of God, your responsibility is also important. And I want you to realize, you know, I will make this practical and modern day application today. In our society today, 
in our educational system today. You parents, Chris, uh, Phil, Chris, Jenny, and, and Carlene. Also, if you are parents, listen. In our society today, I want you to be involved in your child's or children's school. Don't just, you know, drop your children. Ask them what they are learning. Why? Because today, they are indoctrinating our children. They make them confused about their gender. They want your child, if she's a she, they want her, her to be a he. And that's a no-no in the kingdom of God. Chris, feel you're the dad. I want you to reiterate to your children, to Olivia, to, to Olivia and Carissa, that they are she, not he. The reason why I'm saying this is this, because I, I met previous members in this church. Yes, they say they're Christians, but they don't attend regularly in the church. When you allow yourselves to sacrifice for your children, if you're really interested, and this is very important to you, be serious about your child's education, not only outside, but also here. Statistics shows that those children, young people, who grew up in church setting, they're doing better than those who are not. Yes, that's true. We just have an experience two weeks ago about this massacre in Uvalde. They trace his family tree and his experience as a child. He has a broken family. And yet they blame guns. No, this is about heart issue. And that's why when you are serious about Letting your child grow in the Lord, I believe they will grow in the love of the Lord and they will become a better person in our community. Not liability, but benefit, be a benefit in our community. And so, again, even though you're not dedicating your child, if you have a child, please, we can fight this. And this is happening today. Keep on telling them the story about God created Adam and Eve. He created male and female, period. If you're not involved, when you drop your child at school, if he is a, if he is a male, don't be surprised if he goes to your car and walks like this. It's because of your fault. It's your fault. There is only he and she. Is that clear? Male and female. No in between. This is happening in our society today. Our school system. That's why, again, I thank you for coming. Because uh, 
I will address this to you. You have brought uh, parents, you have brought your children before us today publicly, dedicate them to the Lord, and I have a series of questions to ask. And, and please affirm your desires by answering each of them by saying, we will. Okay? So, will you teach and dis discipline your children in your home so that you are not solely dependent on the church or school system? Impart biblical knowledge and spiritual values to your children? Will you not assume that your careers or peer approval are the highest goals in life, but rather what will advance the cause of Christ? Will you not make your life choices based on secular trends or material gain, but rather will you make your life choices based on what will benefit and strengthen the faith of your children? So, Phil and, and Chris, as uh, uh, their earthly father, will you give uh, your child the time and attention and affection that show the true nature of her father in, in heaven? Carlin and Jenny, as, uh, as her earthly mother, will you uh, give your children the special attention or attachment she graves from you and the special nurturing thoughts that you are uniquely gifted by God to give her. So, uh, we have our, uh, we have a lot of uh, godparents here. So, uh, for Carissa, Myra, where's Myra? Uh, she's in Dubai. Okay. Hi, Dubai. <laughs> uh, Genesis. Uh, they're in Dubai. Uh, Jubilee also in Dubai. Okay. Uh, Pamela, she's here. Uh, Lisa. Erickson. In the Philippines? Okay. Uh, Charil. Where's Charil? In, in Dubai. Grace is here. Grace. Uh, Kyra is here. Okay. Lodelin. Okay. And uh, Rasa. Resa. Uh, Michelle Biscara. Okay. So for Olivia, uh, my, my wife gave me the right name over here. Okay. Press Gomez. Okay. And so. Uh, Janine. Ah, okay. Pamela. Oh, dalawa, dalawa ka. Okay. You, need, you need to buy two gifts during Christmas. <laughs> uh, Anastasio. Uh, Shane. Shane is not here with us. And then Brother Joe. Uh, Faith. And Ariane. And Jeremiah. Sarah. And Deborah. Dave, okay. Okay. Lodeline, uh, Brother June, okay. and Annabelle. Annabelle, what's your name? Sarah. Ah, Sarah, did I mention it? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so. <laughs> and so, uh, you have accepted. <laughs> course, the parents request for you to be godparents uh, to their children or to their child. I also have a series of questions to ask. Please affirm your desire by answering each of them. We will, okay? In accepting this role, will you regularly pray for the parents and their child? Uh, <clears throat> again, in the future, 
if mom and dad they are not available for uh, child's, uh, you know, child care or, or, or anything. Will you do everything in your power to help them follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, so uh, I will address this to the congregation. Will you ask the community of faith support these parents? Parents of Olivia and Carissa? By the Christian lab, an example you set by your labs. If so, will you please stand up and say, we will. But do you even understand the question? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so let's bow down our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful opportunity that we can dedicate Carissa and Olivia unto your name. Father, thank you so much for these precious children. I know, Father, that they are a gift from you. They are a heritage from the parents. And so, Lord, I pray that you will enable the parents to do everything so that they will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for a blessing upon them. As they grow, oh Lord, I pray that they will indeed grow uh, through the guidance of their parents to know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I am praying for the parents that, that they will remember their promise unto you. They will support, that they will uh, help Carissa uh, and Olivia to grow uh, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I also thank you for the godparents, praying, Lord, that you will also enable them to do their task and the promise they made. And even our congregation, Father, thank you for their support. And so, Father, this morning, I lift up to you Carissa and Olivia, and we dedicate them to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. So uh, this is to certify that Carissa Kati Groven, born at St. Joseph Hospital, uh, was dedicated to the Lord by Phil and Carlin Groven to acknowledge that God gave this precious gift and that they are responsible in guiding this child in nurture of God. Uh, congratulations and God bless you. And also, uh, of course, as you made promise, I know you have your own Bible. This is just, of course, a picture or a token that, you know, uh, you will be reminded of your promise. And also, uh, this letter, this letter to be given on the 13th birthday, okay? Uh, don't, don't open it, okay? You know what, what I always say? Don't, uh, balik tad ba? You know what I always say? Don't open it, okay? I will not repeat to you, but I first... Don't open it until the 13th birthday because there is no check inside. <laughs> uh, uh, this is to certify that Olivia Elena Vodopia, uh, born at Chandler Regional Medical Hospital, was dedicated to the Lord by Christopher and Jenny Vodopia, who acknowledge that God gave them this precious gift and that they are responsible in guiding this child in nurture of God. So, congratulations and I, I, I indeed pray that, you know, as you made promise today, you will uh, do your promise, okay? And again, I will not repeat.
Okay, you know. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much and that's it. Pastor, can you close us in prayer, please?